Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode number 125. I am Michael Montero with Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com, your gracious host. And speaking of Boxing Monthly, the new June issue is out. And if you flip to page 38, you'll see my latest work in the magazine about none other than Errol Spence, The Truth. And the title of the article is The Truth About Errol. I know, real original, right? So I actually talked to him and his trainer about a month ago and penned this piece, put it together. We talked about his upcoming uh, homecoming fights, a homecoming of sorts back in Dallas, mandatory fight against Carlos Ocampo, uh, undefeated Mexican fighter. We talked about some other things about him coming up in the amateurs, the Olympics, all that good stuff. So be sure to check that out and everything else. Also want to give a quick shout out to Fried Pork, a new contributor on our Patreon page. Fried Pork, thank you so much, my man. Thank you to everybody. Well, I'm assuming my man. <laughs> it might be my, my woman. But thank you either way, Fried Pork. We appreciate it. And thank you to everybody on Patreon that supports us. Guys, go over to patreon.com slash Montero on boxing and support MOB. We are totally independent. I get in where I can fit in. I squeeze my ass where it will fit in. I work with everybody if they'll work with me, but I am not exclusive to any one platform. And because of that, I'm fighting for scraps here and there. I'm getting a little ducats here, a little ducats there, but not that much. So, um, and it costs a lot to cover these events, guys, to, to fly around, uh, to drive around, to get to these events. So uh, if anything that you guys could do to help, even if you look at it, not even as help, but just as a tip, to say thanks for all the hard work that Tiffany Lamb, my producer, and myself put into this. It's a lot of work. Also, if you want to check out a shirt and support the channel that way or just rock the cool shirt, we have black ones uh, right now in stock. We're trying to get some more different colors, but uh, we have a variety of sizes. Just email me, guys. It's MonteroOnBoxing at gmail.com and let me know you're interested and we'll take it from there. Also, while you're at it, go to Apple Podcast, find The Neutral Corner, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review, and tell all of your boxing friends. All right, all the preliminary stuff out of the way. Let's jump right into news and notes. All right, so among the big news this week, uh, and, you know, I can't say I'm surprised. I, I know you guys probably aren't surprised either, but Billy Joe Saunders withdraws from his fight with Martin Murray for the second time. Remember, this was originally supposed to happen earlier this year, but he withdrew. Uh, he claimed it was a hand injury the first time, now it's a hamstring injury. So whatever bug crawled into his hand and bit it, crawled down to his hamstring now and bit that. So uh, they were supposed to fight June 23rd. That fight is off. I don't think it's ever happening. I really feel bad for Martin Murray. I, I mean, on the surface, this wasn't going to be, you know, an elite level matchup or anything like that. But it probably was going to be along the same lines as uh, David Lemieux. Is David Lemieux, I should say, as far as the level of opponent. Martin Murray at this stage of his career uh, might not even be quite up to what Lemieux is. Although... Lemieux has had issues making weight in three of his last five fights. So, uh, all things considered, I'm not quite sure, you know, how competitive this fight was going to be anyway. But a fun, domestic-level, good scrap. A good, solid scrap, right? And it's a shame that it's not happening, but it's also a shame that Martin Murray has pretty much spent half of 
this year, half of 2018, training and preparing for a title match. Remember, Billy Joe Saunders has a title. He has the only other title that Gennady Golovkin doesn't have at middleweight. And Murray was going to give it one more go for a title shot. And here he is training all year. And boom, he's out of it again. I, you just can't help but feel bad for the guy. He just always seems to come up short in situations like this. And in the ring, he's lost some really close fights on the cards. Just can't help but feel bad for Double M. Maybe I'm, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm sympathetic because I'm a Double M too. Anyway, uh, Billy Joe Sanders, let's look at him, okay? Goes pro in 2009. So he's been pro for nine years, almost a decade. He only has 26 pro fights. Since that split decision win over Chris Eubank at the end of 2014, remember that? That was, that was two undefeated UK guys fighting and the winner of that fight was supposed to go on to be a real serious contender. The other guy was gonna have to go back to the drawing board. And the better man won, but Saunders barely won. So, you know, I, I thought he he won. It, it should have been unanimous, but he only won by a, a round or two. It was a close fight. Either way, he escapes with that victory. I shouldn't say escapes. He, he cleared. He wins, but it was close and competitive. Since that time, though, okay, late 2014, that was. He's only fought five times. So since that fight with Eubank Jr., which was supposed to be this kind of, I don't know, like he's not the top of the mountain or anything like that, but running up that damn mountain full steam after that, right? Because that was supposed to be, again, the winner of that fight is going to be the new guy that we're looking at, the possible next big thing at middleweight that's going to challenge the top guys. Guys, that, that was four years ago, and this dude has fought five times. 2017, last year, was Saunders' best year as a pro. He fought Willie Monroe Jr., David Lemieux. Now, on the surface, those are two quality, on-the-bubble, top 10 middleweights. Maybe some of you out there probably might not rate him top 10, but you got to go top 15. Some of you out there might still have him at the very, very bottom of the top 10, right? Either way. Both of these guys are Triple G leftovers. These are both guys that Triple G crushed. He pummeled them. He didn't just win. He knocked them out. And I know he played around. He played with his food a little bit at times in those fights, especially against Monroe, and took a couple shots. But all in all, he went in there. He sought. He destroyed, right? And then Lemieux, or I'm sorry, not Lemieux, um, Saunders, Goes 24 rounds with these guys last year. Now, he basically won every round. Although, I thought uh, Monroe actually won uh, at least three or four rounds in their fight. So, uh, Monroe actually probably has a little more left in the tank than Lemieux at this point. But style-wise, he was able to hang with Saunders because there's some similarities there in the way that they fight. At least their mentality. But, um, you know, that fight was somewhat competitive. Of course, he whitewashed Lemieux. But... He goes 24 rounds with Triple G's leftovers, and that was his best year as a pro. Let's be honest. And we all saw how the Muse looked. Again, he, he's had trouble making weight. He's actually missed weight, couldn't make 160 for three of his last five fights. He's fought above 160 since losing to uh, Triple G. So all things considered, I know a lot of the British fans, and I love the UK fans. You guys are, are the most passionate fans in the world in boxing as far as supporting your fighters. I love that about you guys. But sometimes, and you're not the only ones who are guilty of this, obviously. Every 
corner of the world as fans like this. But sometimes you guys jump the gun a little bit. And suddenly Saunders was going to be the biggest threat last year after beating Lemieux and Monroe. He was going to be the biggest threat to Triple G. He was going to be the biggest threat to Canelo. And look, I even drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. I think stylistically, he's going to give Canelo fits when they fight this September 15th on HBO. <clears throat> that's just uh, what I think is going to happen. But um, actually, that's probably going to be pay-per-view, sadly. But I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit too. But guys, let, let's pull back a little bit. Let's really look at this dude's resume. He has a split decision win over an undefeated Chris Eubank, who has gone on to show that he's pretty much gatekeeper journeyman level. Sorry, but that's pretty much what Chris Eubank Jr. is going to amount to be in his career, not much more. All sizzle, no steak right there with Eubank, right? That was his best victory. And then last year, Monroe, Lemieux, again, I talked when he when those two guys fought the absolute brass of the middleweight division, Gennady Golovkin, they got destroyed. They had little moments when Golovkin let them. And yes, he let them have those moments, but they got destroyed. And they were able to survive 24 rounds with Saunders. I'm not quite ready to call Saunders an elite level middleweight. He's a guy with the title. That's extremely inactive. He has little moments, little flashes of glory and brilliance. Honestly, he really does. But he rarely puts it all together. His most complete performance was against a shell of David Lemieux. That's it. So this guy is going to be Gennady Golovkin, Canelo Alvarez's biggest challenge. I don't know about that. I think he's cashing out. I'm... For years, I just couldn't give a damn about Billy Joe Saunders. After he beat Lemieux, I, I got excited again. I got interested again. And now I'm right back to where I was before where I just couldn't give a damn about this guy. I've already spent too much time in this episode talking about him. Let's move on. Vasil Lomachenko just got surgery on his right shoulder this week. And I tweeted about this because... Uh, Igus Klimas and, and uh, Loma himself, they tweeted about it. They posted stuff on Instagram. They're very, very transparent with fans and media. And uh, that's why Lomachenko is having so much success, by the way. That's part of it. And I'm going to talk more about that later in this episode as it relates to Terrence Crawford. Because I'm starting to hear some rumblings from some people in the media and fans about Crawford not getting a fair shake. Why is he on the ESPN Plus app? Blah, blah, blah. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But back to Loma. Apparently, he hurt his round or hurt his right shoulder in the second round against Jorge Linares. He uh, the shoulder popped out, I guess the joint, and then it popped back in. He could throw straight punches because it numbed, so he could jab with it, but he couldn't hook. He couldn't uppercut. No 45s. It was hard for him to push off. He was fighting a bigger man anyway, so it was naturally going to be harder for him to push off. But he couldn't do the things he wanted to do in there. He had to basically fight with one arm. Doing that from the second round on in that fight, surviving a flash knockdown, legit knockdown though, surviving that, and coming back and stopping a much bigger fighter who is rumored that he weighed 152 pounds on fight night, Jorge Linares did. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's true, but that's what people that were there uh, that covered the fight that I know who were around the HBO crew or I'm sorry, the ESPN crew that night uh, are telling me that he was over 150 pounds. Either way, it just makes Lomachenko's accomplishment against Linares that much more 
amazing. Really, really pound for pound. And I'm sorry, right now, Lomachenko is pound for pound number one. At the end of last year, I had Terrence Crawford pound for pound number one. But with this one performance, honestly, just this one performance, as far as in one night, okay, just performance-wise for one night, one fight, it's better than anything Terrence Crawford has done. It's better than anything Gennady Golovkin has done. It's better than anything anybody else near the top of the pound-for-pound list has done on one night. Now, of course, you could look at the totality of a career and Crawford winning titles at different weight classes and cleaning out a whole division. Then, you know, that's a different argument. But I'm just talking about one night, one night of boxing, that accomplishment for Lomachenko. No one else in the pound-for-pound list can touch that right now, what he did against Linares, especially doing it with one arm. One thing also that I'll add to this, and I kind of tweeted about it, or at least I hinted to it on Twitter, all the Lomachenko haters that were talking about Guillermo Rigondeau um, injuring his hand, and that's why he quit. He didn't really quit. He was injured. He couldn't go on. Remember their fight when Rigondeau was getting completely outclassed and quit? Um, a lot of the Lomachenko haters were saying, oh, it was this, the weight difference. That's, what, that's why Lomachenko won. And also the injury, that's why Lomachenko won. They've all gone silent. They haven't said shit about the weight disadvantage Lomachenko had against Linares and fighting with a real injury, not a fake injury that Rigondeaux made up. Uh, Rigondeaux has not had any surgery on his hand. There has been no photos or anything surfaced other than a bruised hand. And apparently it was two bruised knuckles he suffered, not a legitimate real actual injury that would require surgery or anything more than a little rest which is pretty much those types of injuries are what most fighters fuck just go do a do a, a day of sparring guys and you're going to have bruises that are going to take a while to heal right so uh rigadio's injury was bullshit he's completely gone silent on twitter actually it wasn't even him handling the account it was a guy who works for a cuban uh boxing uh, I think a website or newspaper or something that was running that, which is a conflict of interest, if you ask me. But he's gone silent. So all the Lomachenko haters have gone silent right along with Guillermo Rigondeaux. I love how that shit works. All right. But Lomachenko says he wants to be back in the ring by the end of this year. So if he gets back in the ring by the end of this year and gets right in there and fights a guy like Raimundo Beltran, who, yeah, not an elite-level fighter, but a rugged, tough, Orlando Salido-esque type of style. I'm not putting him up there. You know, Salido at his best was, was, you know, had another level to him that Beltran doesn't have. But all things considered, that style of fighter coming off a, a, a major, you know, an injury to your shoulder that required surgery, actual surgery, that'd be pretty damn impressive in my opinion if Lomachenko does that. So let's see what happens. And we'll talk a little bit more about him uh, later in this episode. More news and notes now. Uh, Roman Gonzalez suspended indefinitely by the California State Athletic Commission. They want updated neurological exams. And him being stuck back in his homeland right now and all the turmoil, turmoil going on there, he's having trouble securing a visa. And California says, look, man, the last time you were here and you fought here, you took an ass whooping and got brutally knocked out. Before you fight in this commission again, 
you need to have neurological exams. And I can tell you right now, because I've talked to people in the Nevada Commission, they are going to follow suit. If uh, Gonzalez does get a visa and, and winds up trying to get a fight in Nevada, they're going to pull the same thing. They're going to want neurological tests as well. So if Chocolatito wants to come back and fight in America, he ain't going to get to fight in California or Nevada. I would say New York, they're pretty lenient on stuff. They kind of let anything go. You can get caught, you know, with a pro pro prohibited substance, performance enhancing drug and explain it away and you can fight in, in uh, New York. That's how they work. But considering what happened to uh, Abdus Salamov going back several years, right, and, and the issues he had and still suffers with, I would have to think that they'd want Chocolatito to take neurological exams as well. So I just don't see Chocolatito fighting in the United States until he can get all that worked out. And you know what? I'm happy for that. What I saw on that Superfly 2 card, and guys, I was ringside covering that fight. I know some of you watched it on TV and you thought it looked fine. Some of you were up in the crowd drinking beers. You thought it looked fine. Oh, it's boxing. People get knocked out. It happens. You know, in that rugby side rematch. Nah. I was up close. I saw that. It was brutal. And I said right then and there, Chocolatito is done. Especially going up against killers at 115 pounds. I don't need to see this guy in the ring again. It's not because I don't like Chocolatito. He was one of my favorite fighters of this generation. I just think that it's done. And every fight, and it's not just the fight, guys. It's the training for the fight. It's the sparring. It's the cutting weight. Literally cutting the fluids out of your body. You guys got to remember, that affects your brain, okay? There are studies that show that extreme cutting of weight, it can cause elements... I'll just say it's not exactly brain damage, but it, it leads to brain damage down the line, okay? There's, a, there's a, a connecting of the dots. I don't want to see that kind of shit happen with Chocolatito. So, so I, I think California State Athletic Commission is the best commission in fight sports, at least in the United States for sure. And they did the right thing here, in my opinion. Talking about uh, the wrong thing, uh, Mauricio Suleiman who is so far up Canelo's ass right now, um, I, his, he must have, like, his mustache must be red at this point. Um, he says if there's no Canelo-Golovkin rematch this September, that Golovkin is going to have to fight Jamal Charlo next. Now, I talked to Tom Loeffler this week. Tom Loeffler was actually in Italy, in Europe, for a family function, and I got him on the phone it was late in the morning, early in the morning over there. Um, <laughs> I had a couple drinks, uh, but we had a good chat and I posted a video about it on my channel. You guys saw the rant video. I also posted a, an article related to it up on ringtv.com. So, so go to ring site. You guys can see all that. Giving some details about what they're doing right now with their mandatories. But Loeffler made it clear like, look, man, we're dealing with this shit with the IBF with the Revianchenko. Which, by the way, they still haven't made a ruling on that. They were supposed to make a ruling uh, late last week. They haven't made a ruling as far as what they're going to do with the Revianchenko. Are they going to force Golovkin to fight him or strip him? We haven't heard anything yet from them. But we're dealing with this shit with the IBF. And now Suleiman wants to throw this WBC shit on me. Suleiman hasn't even set a date. Usually the way this stuff works is if there's a mandatory, they set a date. And they're like, all right, guys, from this date, you have 30 days to negotiate. If you can't 
come up with a deal, it goes to purse bid, yada, yada, yada. You guys know the process, right? So Suleiman hasn't even set a date. Honestly, I really think that that comment from him was posturing to try to push for the rematch for Canelo Golovkin. Why is Mauricio Suleiman pushing for any fight? Any fight. He's running a sanctioning organization. He shouldn't push for any fight. But why is he pushing for Canelo to get this big lucrative rematch? Well, hey, I'll let you guys decide on that. All I'm going to say is <coughs> sanctioning fee. <coughs> Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Okay, Eddie Hearn is in talks with Alexander Povetkin's billionaire, not millionaire with, a, with an M, I'm talking billionaire with a B, promoter Robinsky over there in Russia for a potential fight this fall with Anthony Joshua. So you guys know that Povetkin has won some elimination fights. He's in line to fight Joshua at some point. You know that Hearn would much rather strike a deal now so he can bring that fight to the UK than it end up going to purse bid, even if it didn't happen till like next year at some point. And that fight, Robinsky wins and it goes over to Russia. If that thing goes to purse bid, to that type of process, it's not if Rabinsky will win. There's, there's no question he will win the purse bid. He is a billionaire. He has a government working with him, okay? So that will happen. And if you're Eddie Hearn, you want to jump on that now. You want to take care of Povetkin now. You want to push the Wilder fight till next year. Basically, what I've been telling you guys is going to happen this whole damn year. And by the way, Deontay Wilder already knows he's fighting Dominic Brazil uh, later this summer. That's already done. It's not official, but that's what's going to happen, guys. So anything you hear otherwise is pure 100% bullshit. Wasting hours and hours and hours talking about numbers and dollars and flat fee offers and pay-per-view buys and how much the pay-per-view over there does versus here and how much the tickets here do versus there. It's all a waste of your freaking time. Now, some of you like that shit. It's entertaining for you. Cool. If that's how you get off, cool. I'm going to have sex with my woman while you guys do that. Cool. But what's going to happen this year is Wilder's going to fight Brazil. Joshua's going to fight Povetkin. And they'll fight each other next year. All right? Joseph Parker... The guy who uh, Anthony Joshua beat in his last fight and unified heavyweight titles. They're talking about him getting back in the ring against Bryant Jennings, possibly in Atlantic City in August. I like that fight. I really, really like that fight. I still think Bryant Jennings is a uh, serviceable type heavyweight who's on the bubble of the top 10. He's athletic. Uh, he's still learning. He came to boxing late. And I think that he's the kind of guy that is going to be in interesting matchups over the next few years, as long as his passion for the sport and his focus stays sharp. For Parker, who's already fought a couple of good names and been willing to travel, been willing to fight anybody, I like that he's not coming right back off his first professional loss to Joshua against a complete scrub. I like that he's coming in there and fighting a ranked guy like Bryant Jennings if this fight actually comes together. I like Joseph Parker. I think he's an underappreciated heavyweight. And because these two guys are pretty much the same size and they think when they fight, uh, 
Parker's a little more of a natural boxer, natural fighter. I think he came to the sport earlier than Jennings, but he came to the sport late himself. I just think style-wise, this will be a pretty interesting, entertaining heavyweight fight. All right, that's all the news and notes for this week, guys. Let's get right into the review of what happened last week. All right, so uh, slim pickings last week if you were a boxing fan looking for live fights. There's a few names I could mention that only boxing diehards would recognize, but you got to be a boxing diehard to listen to this show. So uh, Robin Krasniki won a vacant regional super middleweight title. Emmanuel Navarrete, Mexican fighter, won a WBA super bantamweight eliminator. And Polish fighter Krzysztof Wolodarczyk stayed busy with a win. Featherweight prospect Tokokan Klari improved to 25-1, winning a 10-round unanimous decision on a real deal card from Evander Holyfield's promotional firm. And that's it, guys. Other than that, this weekend, I went to my first Atlanta Braves game here in Atlanta, and it was hot as balls outside. Uh, brand new park. I think it's only like a year or two old. SunTrust Stadium, I think it's called. Um, nice park, but the parking situation, I, an idiot designed it. I, they put it in an area right off a highway that uh, usually you go to a ballpark, right? where there's parking right there. It's in a big open space where there's parking that surrounds the stadium. That's not how this thing happened. They almost built it like the way urban parks, like, you know, ballparks in the middle of a big uh, city from like an older city from the Northeast back in the day. Like I think of like Tiger Stadium in Detroit. I think of, um, you know, old Yankee Stadium, um, just Fenway. Wrigley Field in Chicago, right? Where you have to find parking lots. You have to, you know, you have to kind of find vacant lot or not vacant lots where you can park, uh, decks where you can park. Sometimes you got to take a shuttle. You got to take the train because the parking is so far from the stadium, right? Like that's what you expect in old cities like that, at old ballparks. That's pretty much the way they set up this ballpark in Atlanta, except it's right on the outskirts of town. It's not downtown or anything like that. So you're not downtown. You're on the outskirts of town in the suburbs. You, you park in some lot. You have to walk then a mile to the stadium and you're walking over a highway. So you got to go you know, through these crosswalks. It was just kind of odd. But once you actually got in the stadium, it was fun. Tiffany and I went. Uh, she has a thing like every ballpark we go to, she buys you know, a cap, baseball cap, uh, there at their little local store that they always have in the stadium. So now she's got like seven or eight of them from all the parks we've been to. Pretty cool, pretty fun. That was pretty much the uh, sporting highlight of this weekend for us because there was no boxing. All right, so I'll stop rambling about that and let's get into the preview. We got a lot of action coming up this week. All right, Wednesday, June 6th. It's a matching card from York Hall in London. It's going to be televised on Sky Sports. And on Kazakhstan, Papa. Not sure why it's going there, but maybe it's a combat fighter from the Inter-Card. Not sure. This card's pretty much lined up with
fight me, you know, at the hotel. So, he hasn't fought, De La Hoya hasn't fought since beating Randy Caballero last September on a Canelo the Love Conunder card. And, and at that point, I mean, that was uh, the best, best win of his career, right? That was kind of, you know, I talked earlier in this episode about when Billy Joe Saunders fought uh, Chris Eubank Jr. And he won that fight. He was going to go on from that point and be somebody we're supposed to take a look at. Well, when, when uh, De La Hoya beat Caballero, it's kind of the same scenario where he was supposed to kind of be you know, a guy we're going to look at now. Okay, he, he passed that test. Let's see what he does at the next level with the next test. And then end of last year, you know, is 2017 was going great. Couldn't make weight for that fight. He's been on the shelf. It's going to be interesting to see. Can he make 122 pounds? We'll find out. Apparently, he's had some nagging injuries, and that was, you know, holding him up. We've heard that sort of rhetoric before. Let's see if he makes weight. All right, Saturday, June 7th in Manchester Arena in the UK. It's a Frank Warren card on BT Sport. And in the main event, Terry Flanagan is going up against Maurice Hooker for the vacant WBO 140-pound title. Flanagan is 33-0 with 13 knockouts, 5'9 southpaw, started boxing at age 7. And you guys saw him in recent years win the vacant WBO Lightweight title. He actually won that in 2015. He defended it a few times. Now he's moved up to 140. So he's going for a vacant WBO super lightweight title. So this guy just finds his way into vacant WBO title opportunities. But, you know, he, he's coming off a solid win over Peter Petrov last April. He's also coming off a 14-month layoff. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how fresh he looks. And, you know, 14 months out of the ring, man, uh, that's never good. But sometimes if your body's beat up and you need that break, you're moving up in weight, uh, sometimes it can do the body good. We'll see. If Maurice Hooker, if that name sounds familiar to you, but you don't know why, you guys probably remember him from the Kovalev Ward undercard. He had a controversial draw with Colombian fighter uh, Derles Perez. Most people there fought or uh, felt that Perez won. And I think uh, Hooker was with Rock Nation, who was running that promotion. So he got the draw. Strangely enough, Adelaide Bird scored at 97-93 for Perez. So most people thought Adelaide Bird had the right score that night. And it was the other judges that had the wrong score. Man, figure that. I try to figure that one out. All right, but also on this card, Tyson Fury making his comeback. And a lot of people, um, when they're talking about this card, they're just glancing right over the Flanagan-Hooker fight, which is actually the main event, and that's a title fight. But Tyson Fury making his comeback in the co-main. Tyson Fury, the former heavyweight champion of the world, brief heavyweight champion of the world. You got to kind of put an asterisk next to it because of everything that took place before and after his title-winning effort against Vladimir Klitschko. Anyway, since that point, he hasn't fought. It's been over two and a half years. He weighed 247 pounds for Klitschko. Was in pretty good shape for him. But he blew up to well over 300 pounds. He's had a lot of mental illness issues, substance abuse issues, prohibited substance issues, 
uh, UK anti-doping issues, right? All kinds of stuff he's dealt with. Been seemingly to hell and back, at least mentally and emotionally. Now he's fighting a Macedonian Switzerland-based cruiserweight. And yes, he's going to beat this guy. He's going to win a big, big knockout. It's going to be exciting and entertaining. Tyson Fury's a freak. And when he, anytime he's in front of a camera or in a ring, it's going to be entertaining and fun because he's such a damn freak. How about this? Showtime, knowing what they got here, is streaming Tyson Fury's fight on their Facebook page and their YouTube page. How cool is that? Obviously, you know, they, they're invested in the heavyweight division, right? They, they've been uh, showing Deontay Wilder's fights for years. They've had a few of Anthony Joshua's fights, although he's going to go over to HBO now. That's whatever you guys have heard. That's, that's what's going to happen with that. Um, but, you know, they're still invested in that division. They want to show Tyson Fury. And again, I've talked about how horrible HBO is, how you guys need to unsubscribe from HBO, get the ESPN app, and get the DAZN app once they get going. Don't get it yet, but get that ESPN Plus app. You're trading $15 or whatever it is for HBO for a $5 ESPN Plus app, and they have way better fights than HBO. And then on Showtime, man, you don't even need Showtime. As long as you have Facebook, go to their Facebook page. If you have YouTube, go to their YouTube page, and you can get HD quality streaming of Tyson Fury's comeback fight. Showtime is killing it. Even if you only watch Showtime strictly for boxing, you're getting your money's worth right now. Speaking of Showtime, Staples Center, Los Angeles, PBC on Showtime. Leo Santa Cruz, Abner Mars rematch for the WBA Super and Regular Featherweight title. <laughs> Figure that shit out. So uh, Santa Cruz has the Super title and Mars has the regular title. This is a rematch, of course, of their first fight back in August of 2015. I covered that fight. I was ringside that night. It was a pretty good crowd. There was well over 10,000 there. Uh, pretty, pretty lively. Uh, anytime you got two Mexican fighters from the LA area fighting in LA, you're gonna do a good crowd and it's gonna be a fun crowd. It was a good quality fight, guys, but it wasn't great. And Leo Santa Cruz, clearly won that fight there was no controversy two judges scored at 117 111 those were the correct scores he clearly won the fight but judge max deluca who's a veteran judge somehow scored at 114 114 which was a terrible freaking card and that gave abner Mara's fans and some people with agendas who want to make this fight happen again to make some money because they know Mexican fans will show up. Uh, that gave them uh, reasoning for saying, oh, we got to see the rematch. We got to see the rematch. And all the network guys were saying it too. This rematch is useless. It serves no purpose. There are much bigger fights in the featherweight division right now. Is it going to be a good quality entertaining fight? Sure, it's going to be competitive. Two Mexican-American dudes, they're going to be putting it all on the line. The fans there in L.A. are going to be cheering them on at Staples. It's going to be fun, right? But Leo Santa Cruz will win a decision here and probably won't fight again until the end of the year. Might not even fight again until 2019. Remember Carl Frampton? Remember the guy who gave Santa Cruz a rematch? Not only gave him a rematch, but came to America 
to do the rematch. Do you guys remember that? You remember that gentleman's agreement that Santa Cruz was going to give him that third fight, the rubber match? How's that shit working out? Ain't going to happen. He screwed over Carl Frampton. No one seems to give a shit. But the PBC people and Leo Santa Cruz and his people butt-effed Carl Frampton on that deal. I'd like to see that fight. I'd much rather see that rubber match, which I think Santa Cruz would clearly beat Frampton again, mind you. But I'd much rather see that than this rematch, personally. But more than any of that, let's see Santa Cruz, once he beats Mars again by decision, fight Gary Russell Jr. Let's have them unify titles. They've been in the same PBC universe for how long now? They haven't fought each other. What's up with that? There's Oscar Valdez who has a title, but he ain't coming back till next year, and he's with top rank. And I don't think that Leo Santa Cruz is going to fight a top rank guy. I don't think, you know, top rank Bob Arum, he says he's copacetic with the PBC now and everything like that, and Al Heyman, cool. But Bob Arum doesn't like to play with others if he don't have to. That's just how he does business. So I don't see that happening. But why can't we see Santa Cruz in Russell? Why can't we see that this fall? There's no reason why we shouldn't see it. In the co-main of this card, Jermel Charlo is fighting Austin Trout, defending his WBC junior middleweight title. Charlo coming off that KO win over Erickson Lubin last October, which everybody went apeshit with that win. It was an emphatic knockout. It was exciting. I get it. But Erickson Lubin is just a prospect. And there were rumors that the kid was chinny. He had been dropped in sparring. He had had issues before getting popped. And to me, that's an extremely overrated win. That's not Charlo's best win. Charlo's best win was a 10-round unanimous decision over Vons Martirosian in 2015. That was three years ago. He really hasn't done shit since. Not that much. Now, Austin Trout, I think he's lost, what? He, he lost two in a row against Hurd and the other Charlo. But that Hurd fight, that was a brutal physical fight with Jarrett Hurd last October. Uh, Trout's going to be 33 this September. How much is left in the tank? Personally, based on what I see, it's a old, he's 32 right now, but it's an old 32. And at some point, he's going to look old overnight. And that brutal, grueling fight with that much bigger, much stronger fighter, Jarrett Hurd, who doesn't hit very hard, but he wears people down. That fight last October, part of me thinks that took a lot out of Trout. And I know a lot of people think this is going to go the distance and think that Trout's going to give Charlo fits. That's what I've been hearing from a lot of the previews and stuff that I've seen. I disagree, man. I think Trout, look, the fight with Jermall Charlo, he didn't really take much punishment. And he won three or four rounds in that fight. And he won some rounds against Hurd early on. But he also took a physical beating. And he's going in there against the guy that punches hard. Is Jermall Charlo... Is hard of a puncher and as good as Jermall Charlie? I'm not sure. I go back and forth on that. But I think Jermall has probably fought the better opposition overall. But Jermall seems to be improving as well. Both Charlos seem to be improving. And I think that Trout might win a round or two early, maybe. But guys, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised if Jermall Charlo wins every round from the second round on 
and knocks out Trout. Uh, late, I don't know, maybe the eighth or ninth round. And it's almost a highlight reel type of knockout. I'm serious. Maybe he softens him up with one knockdown and hurts him. And then Trout gets back up and he clips him again and puts him out, puts his lights out. I could see something like that happening, man. I'm just telling you, guys that are in their 30s, that have been in some wars, been in some long, grueling fights, some 12-round fights, and then they go up against such a big physical guy like Jarrett Hurd, usually that just changes a dude. Maybe I'm totally wrong. It won't be the first time, won't be the last. But that's just, if I were a betting man, that's how I would see this fight. And switching over to the ESPN Plus app at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Terrence Crawford, his first fight at welterweight, challenging WBO welterweight titleist Jeff Horn. And I'll talk a little bit about, um, I want to rant about some of the uh, ESPN Plus app moaners and uh, the Terrence Crawford don't get no respect or promotion moaners in a little bit. First, let's talk about the actual fight. Horn is 18-0-1, 12 knockouts. He is the natural welterweight. He's 5'9", 69-inch reach. He's always fought at welterweight. Crawford is listed as 5'8". He's really 5'7", but he has a longer reach, and it's because he has longer arms. I've met him a few times in person. He's got long arms. 70-inch reach. Uh, he switch hits very well. Crawford's vastly more experienced, obviously, amateur and pro. Uh, he fought at the MGM Grand last, I think the only other time, when he fought Victor Postal back in July of 2016. And even though he won the fight in dominant fashion and completely unified and consolidated, uh, well, at least at the top, consolidated that division and became the man taking the lineal title at that point, he kind of stunk the joint out. Some of the fans were booing. They thought he moved a little bit too much. He didn't put it, the, you know, step on the gas pedal and make a statement in that fight when he should have. I think he wants to erase that memory. I think he wants to return to MGM Grand and annihilate Jeff Horn and take this title. This will be the second defense for Horn. This is the title he quote-unquote won from Manny Pacquiao last July. And then he defended it once last December against Gary Corcoran, TKO 11. Victory for him. And I think ESPN picked that fight up, right? So this is his first fight outside of Australia. And it looks to be obviously the toughest fight of his career. He fought Manny Pacquiao, yes, but as I've said forever, Pacquiao really, if you want to, I mean, his best work was 126, 135 in that range. That's really his natural best fighting weight, anywhere in that range. Everything above that, unnatural for him. He's, you know, bloated at those weights and he's well past it. He's been well past it for years. People thought he suddenly got old against Floyd. Nah. He's been going through the motions since about 2011. So, you know, to say Horn got a faded Pacquiao, I think that's an exaggeration. I think he got a slightly shot Manny Pacquiao. Either way, putting his title on the line here, he hasn't made the negotiations easy for top rank and Terrence Crawford. This fight changed dates, venues, locations a billion times. But finally, it's happening. And that's part of the reason why there's not a lot of buzz for this fight. I think a lot of people see this as, uh, as a one-sided beatdown. That's really what it is on paper, right? But uh, we don't know how Crawford's going to look at welterweight. The size and the awkwardness and the, the crudeness and natural strength of Horn might give Crawford problems for a couple rounds. 
I really think though, when you see Crawford switch to southpaw, that's when you know he's feeling comfortable, he sees something. Once he makes that switch, he's good. So the first round or so, if he doesn't make that switch, I think it's clear that he's not really, uh, you know, he's still checking out this dude's size and taking his time. Once he makes that switch, though, it, the, this fight, it's, it's going to be over before the sixth round. It should be, right? That's why there's not a whole lot of buzz here. But also, it's just the, the momentum that Horn had from the Manny Pacquiao fight. Remember, they wanted the Pacquiao rematch. It was actually Pacquiao who didn't want it because of senatorial duties. You know, that job takes precedent now, precedent now over boxing for him. And, and a bunch of other stuff is more important than boxing to him. His religion, his kids, all that stuff, right? So the, the kind of the momentum is almost gone. It's almost been a year since he fought Pacquiao. And there was, of course, there was a massive rating for that here in the United States on ESPN. I believe that was the first top rank on ESPN show. Did huge ratings here, but it did a huge global rating as well. So why is this on the ESPN Plus app? Well, I think there's several reasons. It's partial, partially an experiment to see how many international people they can get on board with this app. Uh, as far as I understand it, you don't need ESPN to have this app. You can live in Calcutta and get the app. So if you have the app store on your phone, you can get this app. Maybe they're trying to see. Maybe they can get some Aussies to buy in. I'm not sure. As far as I know, it's on TV over there. <clears throat> so I, I'm not quite sure exactly why you go to the app now. But you got to go at some point. And this isn't the first fight on the ESPN Plus app. There have been some already. But this is the first big fight with a big boxing star. And Terrence Crawford, he's not a box office star, but he's a pound-for-pound pound type of boxing star, right? He's, he's respected in the boxing community. But I think top rank, at some point, they're going to have to put their stars on the app. And do you do it when Terrence Crawford is fighting a major unification fight? Or do you do it now while he's fighting Jeff Horn in a fight where he's going to look really, really spectacular and you can make a splash? He fought on ESPN last time against Julius Ndongo, completely cleaned out the division, right? Uh, won all the titles and looked spectacular. That was a complete blowout. Make no mistake, this fight with Jeff Horn will be more competitive and it will be more ugly. It'll be a lot more ugly. So people saying that Crawford doesn't get promoted. Go back to that last fight with Julius Ndongo. They tried to do interviews with both of those guys, Ndongo and Crawford. Crawford is just not a good interview. He does not have a very dynamic personality. He's confrontational with media. Even as hometown media, he's confrontational. Local media, where he should be, you know, he's like a celebrity there. And he should be worshipped by local media. He should be doing all kinds of events there. He's confrontational with those guys. He's had some minor legal issues there, right? Um, he's been confrontational with boxing media. He's hinted about uh, bias toward media for fighters of different ethnicities and skin tones. He's hinted at bias with promoters as it relates to those demographics and things like that. All of that's confrontational. And when you have... A confrontational personality 
you're not very dynamic, you're not very funny. Look, one-on-one -on -one or in a small room, Terrence Crawford is actually a very charming, funny guy. And with fans, he's actually a really cool guy. I've seen him uh, take pictures with people, uh, sit around and sign autographs with kids. Like I've seen him do stuff like that. He's actually a good dude. It's just when it's a big cameras, big lights, big crowds, he shells up a little bit. He's just not a natural at it. And I know Top Rank has tried to work with the guy. I know they have. They worked with him on HBO to do vignettes with him. They went to his hometown in Omaha and showed his old gym. They did all kinds of stuff trying to promote this guy. But if you don't have the personality, if, it doesn't, if you're not an open, vulnerable person on camera that lets people in and exposes and opens yourself up, if you're shelled up, if you're guarded, that shows on camera, it, it, it bleeds through the microphone, it rubs off on people, and it, you don't connect. So people don't connect with Crawford the way they are connecting right now, starting to with Vasil Lomachenko. And why do I bring him up? Because I've heard people making the comparisons recently. Lomachenko's last fight was on ESPN. This fight with Terrence Crawford and, Ter and uh, Jeff Horn isn't. It's because they're trying to promote the white guy. They're trying to shelve the black guy. It's so it always goes back to that same old bullshit, right? People comparing apples to oranges. Mind you, the Lomachenko-Linares fight was originally supposed to go with the replay of Canelo-Golovkin 2 and the Ali-Mungia uh, fight. Or Ali was actually supposed to fight, who the hell was supposed to uh, Smith, Liam Smith. So that was supposed to basically be a cross-network double or triple play between uh, Top Rank, Loeffler, and Golden Boy. And they had this whole thing worked out where ESPN was going to help promote the Canelo-Golovkin rematch on ESPN um, before they went over to uh, HBO to show that, you know. So during the Lomachenko-Linares buildup, they were going to promote Canelo-Golovkin too. You guys remember all this stuff? We were talking about this before, right? So that's why that was on ESPN. And it made total sense to do it there from a demographics perspective and everything else. Now, I talked about Terrence Crawford's last fight against Julius Ndongo being on ESPN. There was plenty of hoopla and buildup uh, throughout fight week. I saw vignettes on Crawford. I saw promotion, commercials. I saw them talking about it on SportsCenter. There was plenty of promotion talking about unifying all the titles within Dongo. I thought they did a great job promoting it. And Crawford looked spectacular that night. Personality, I thought in the post-fight interview he did pretty good. But in the interviews and stuff leading up to the fight, it just wasn't very good. It just wasn't. Either way, now you're fighting Jeff Horn, who they, I told you, he fought Gary Corcoran last December. They picked it up on ESPN. It did nothing. No ratings. This guy's uh, going to bring some international money, some international viewership, possibly on the app. You got to think this way, guys. People overseas, maybe some of them will buy the app. Maybe some of them will stream it. Maybe some, some of them are getting it on TV, depending on what country they're in. But I think Top Rake is betting and hoping that they get some international pickup on the app. And if I'm totally off on that and it's unavailable worldwide, guys, let me know. But my understanding about the ESPN Plus app is it's available anywhere. So I think that at some point, 
you got to start moving over to the app. And I think that this is for Crawford, the right fight to do it. I just think it makes sense. And to try to compare this to Lomachenko, who, by the way, is doing interviews in English now. Lomachenko uh, was recently on the, the podcast that Steve Kim and Mario Lopez do, the, uh, uh, the, the three knockdown rule. And he was there with his manager, Igus Kleinas, and he's speaking English. So this is a guy who is not from here, learning English to try to cross over, making the effort. You guys seem to not understand, a lot of you just seem to think that promoters are supposed to do all the work. In a perfect world, that's how it would go. But guys, as somebody who dabbles in the entertainment industry, that's not how it works. Managers, agents, promoters, publicists, they do their piece, but you as the quote-unquote talent, you got to do your piece too. You think about a musician, all right? Let's take this away from boxing. Let's look at a, a pop artist. Yeah, their publicist is doing work for them. They have promoters putting on shows. They have an agent. They have a manager. They have their record executives. All these people are doing their part. But the artist, if they don't get out there and, and do the interviews, if they don't kick ass at the interviews, if they don't do the late night shows and the, the shows on MTV and get out there and sign autographs and take pictures and get active on social media and do all that stuff, then all the promotion in the world doesn't mean shit. You got to get out there. It's a two-way street. And Terrence Crawford just don't give a shit about promoting. He's like a lot of fighters, particularly American fighters, who want the promoter to do 100% of it. They want to sit around. Yeah, they'll be in the gym. Crawford trains. He's in shape 365 days a year. But he's basically waiting for the phone to ring and for Bob Arum to say, here's who you're fighting. Here's how much. Here's the date. Blah, blah, blah. You got to do this thing for ESPN and this interview for local TV. And that's it. Crawford ain't picking up the phone and calling people and saying, hey, let's do this. Let's do that. He does some local work in his community and stuff like that, but it's all very quiet. Guys, I'm talking about promotion. The guy doesn't work to promote himself the way other fighters do. And you want to know the truth? It's because, and this is going to ruffle some of your feathers. This is going to piss some of you off. But it's the truth. It's because, in a sense, guys like Terrence Crawford are more privileged than guys like Vasily Lomachenko because he speaks English. He's a native-born American. He grew up here in this culture. He understands it. He doesn't have to do the extra work Lomachenko has to do. Lomach and I'm using Lomachenko as an example just because this has been talked about and he's with the same promoter. So it's an easy dynamic, right? But Lomachenko has to learn English. Lomachenko's a smaller fighter. He, you know, so he, he's got to work twice as hard to promote himself. And then if you look at the Ukrainian fan base, or if you want to go broader, the Eastern European slash Slavic population in America is not as uh, big as the black population in America. So just in terms of demographics and who you're appealing to, if you want to cross over, and you, if you're Lomachenko and you want to cross over to more than just Eastern European Americans, you got to learn English and you got to start appealing to a broader audience. The same thing with Terrence Crawford. So, guys, promotion is a two-way street. So all of you complaining and saying Crawford don't get a fair shake, dude just moved up. It's his first fight at welterweight, and he's basically getting handed a welterweight title. And he's in business in the welterweight division, hasn't even fought there once. 
I'd say he's doing pretty damn good. I'd say he's getting hooked up here. All right? Now, after he beats Jeff Horn down, what's next for Crawford? That's another thing a lot of people are talking about. Well, potentially the winner between Lucas Matisse and Manny Pacquiao, which is for a, a piece of a title. But depending on who wins that, whether it's Matisse or Pacquiao, does either one of them want Terrence Crawford? I don't think they do. I don't think either of them wants it. Perhaps Matisse, but that, we already know Pacquiao don't want it. He hasn't been in a rush to fight Crawford anytime soon. If that fight can happen, if Grandpa Bob can make some sort of magic happen and put together a big, big payday, maybe that could happen. And if it does happen, it's a big fight. And technically speaking, it'd be a, a unification. But whether that fight happens or not, what's next? We already know. I already talked about top rank. They don't play well with others. They will use every in-house option before reaching out. It's what top rank does. Well, Mexican-born welterweight Alex Saucedo, he's fighting in Oklahoma City June 30th, along with Gilberto Ramirez, right? He resides, he lives in Oklahoma City now, so that's basically his hometown. 27-0, assuming he wins June 30th, which we think he will, and continues to win, that's a natural down the road. Terrence Crawford and Alex Saucedo. One guy's from Omaha, one guy's from Oklahoma City. That's middle America, right over it, right all over it, right? Oklahoma City, Nebraska, I'm sorry, Omaha, Nebraska, and Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Guys, that's, you can't get any more American than that. That's, that's going to be a, a regional rivalry that top rank will build up, and it's going to be a black dude versus a Mexican dude. That's, that's easy to put together. And Top Rank knows how to build those stories and put that together. You also got Igadijus Kavaliauskas, the mean machine. You've got Konstantin Ponomarev, who has kind of fell off the face of the earth recently. But those, uh, those two guys, especially the mean machine, those would be marketable fights. I'm not saying these are blockbuster huge fights, guys. The huge fights are Errol Spence and Keith Thurman. Those are the huge fights in the division. Keith Thurman ain't interested in fighting really much longer. He's not going to fight very often. And I don't, I don't know if he's going to be fighting three years from now unless he spends all of his money, which he's not. He's actually being smart about saving it. So I don't know if he's going to be fighting much longer. But Errol Spence, that is going to be the super fight. But do you think the boys at PBC are in any rush to put Errol Spence in there right now with Terrence Crawford? Hell no. You all know that shit ain't happening for a while. There, if, if Keith Thurman ever gets back in the damn ring again, they want Thurman and Spence to fight first. They want to build Spence up. So, look, people saying that Crawford ain't got nobody to fight, I just mentioned a few names. And then there's other promoters out there who have welterweights. And then there's the, um, you know, the, the welterweights with PBC that aren't as big of stars Deshaun Porters and those kinds of guys that at some point will be used and, and foddered off against Terrence Crawford. Those fights will happen. Those are when when Top Rank and PBC have worked together in recent years. It's been when PBC does work across the aisle and Top Rank works across the aisle. It's matchups like that. It's with that second tier level of fighter, right? So we're going to see Crawford fight maybe some of those second tier PBC guys over the next couple of years. You're going to see Spence fight some of those guys. And then down the road, two, three years from now, we're going to get Crawford Spence. That's going to be the big super fight. 
Until then, you're going to see Crawford fight guys like I mentioned. That's just going to be what it is, guys. But if he keeps lining them up and knocking them down, that's all he's got to do. Just keep winning, baby. All right? Sunday, June 10th at the Pioneer Event Center in Lancaster, California. It is PBC on Fox Sports 1. Some heavyweight action, American heavyweight action. Travis Kaufman, Gerald Washington, and Michael Hunter, who's really a cruiserweight, went 12 rounds with Alexander Usyk last April. Uh, I guess, I hope he's not moving to heavyweight permanently. Maybe just for this one fight. Either way, these three guys are fighting cab drivers. My question is, and I like the heavyweights. You guys know this, so I'll be watching this card because I like the heavyweights. Why aren't Kaufman and Washington fighting each other? That's who should be fighting each other on this card. Now, maybe if they win, they'll fight each other next. And maybe that goes to Showtime or something like that. I get it. I'd like to see Michael Hunter fight Andrew Tabidi, who is an undefeated cruiserweight prospect that Floyd Mayweather promotes. He just beat Latif Coyote. So I think that should Hunter win, he needs to go back down to cruiser. He does not belong at heavyweight. Hunter Tabidi would be fun. Kaufman Washington would be fun. But these guys should all win, and they should win big this Sunday. All right, guys, that's it for this week. And, um, yeah, I'm just looking over my notes here. I told you guys about going to Apple Podcasts. Make sure you do that. All right, guys, that's it for episode 125. I'll see you at the fights.